Hello, I'm Erica LaCasse, and this is the Messy Messianic Mama podcast. Today we'll be talking about Purim and the importance of it even in this day and age. Stick around for some hope, healing, and maybe even some laughs. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Messy Messianic Mama podcast. Once again, I'm Erica, and it is the 1st of March, 2021. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe that it is already March. Um, I'm actually quite happy about it. Um, This year's kind of going fast, which is a good thing, because you want to stay busy versus it seemingly being forever until the year's over, kind of like 2020 was for a lot of us, probably because we were all stuck in our homes. Today, we're going to actually talk about something really fun, and it's one of the happiest celebrations in the Jewish culture. It's Purim, and Purim means lots in ancient Persian. The holiday was named that because Haman, who's basically the bad guy in the Book of Esther, had thrown lots to determine when he would carry out his scheme against the Jewish people. Now, in the Western world, it's typically pronounced Purim. In the Eastern tradition, it is called Purim. And in some Central European countries, it's called Pirim. So I'm not sure there's really a wrong way of saying it. Um, any way you shake it, it's the same thing. It's, it's Purim. It means lots. We're discussing the book of Esther and the salvation of the Jewish people. So it is celebrated every year on the 14th of the Hebrew month of Adar, typically late winter or early spring. So it's not always the same because it is based on the the Hebrew calendar, the Jewish calendar, and not on the typical calendar. Um, It commemorates the salvation of the Jewish people in ancient Persia from Haman's plot to, quote, destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, infants and women, in a single day. So for those of you who don't know, Jews have been persecuted pretty much since day one, but um, a lot of people, I I actually have met a couple, only thought that the first time they were truly persecuted was during World War II. Um, hate to break it to those people, that is not true, and perhaps they need to start reading their Bible. In fact, I encourage you, everyone, to read your Bible more so that you can uh, show yourself approved. And when you come across people who do not know the history, you can share it with them. Um, It's the only book in the Bible where the name of the Lord is not mentioned, which if you really think about it is kind of odd because the whole book is about God. Um, But you'll see in the book of Esther, which I encourage you to read, um, that he is behind the scenes in every facet of this uh, story. So, I am not going to read. I know I typically read a whole lot of scripture um, during my podcast, but I'm not going to read it this time because I don't have enough time. Even though there's only 10 chapters, I would literally read the whole chapter and that would be the end of my podcast. So I want to just hit some uh, important points about it. And then I'm going to encourage you to open up your own Bibles and read Esther for yourself. And um I love, once again, the Tree of Life version of the Bible. It makes it very simple for you to understand. Um, One thing some people don't know is that Esther's Hebrew name was Hadassah. So 
sometimes in, in probably the complete Jewish Bible, I could be wrong, don't quote me on that, but um, it probably has Hadassah instead of Esther. But um, it's always neat to know what the Hebrew names are. Um, I'm sure I've mentioned it maybe in a, a previous podcast, but I'm always fascinated by the Hebrew name versus the English name that we give them. Like Moses is Moshe. And my absolute favorite is um, Solomon because his name in Hebrew is Shlomo. And it probably shouldn't be as entertaining to me as it is, but it's super high, highly entertaining for me to, to uh, call him Shlomo. But anyways, um, so what we do on Purim is obviously we commemorate the salvation of the Jewish people, but how we do that is a little bit different. I know in the Jewish community, um, they have four Purim mitzvahs or laws or commandments. So for the Jewish community, they read the Megillah, which is the story of Esther um, that recounts the story of the Purim miracle. This is done once on the eve of Purim and again the following day. Then the second one is they give monetary gifts to at least two poor people. So they give money to at least two, two poor people. The third one is sending gifts of two kinds of food to at least one person. And the fourth one is they have a festive Purim feast, which often includes wine or other intoxicating beverages. I'm going to tell you right now, our synagogue does not follow these mitzvahs. Um, obviously, these are... Um, rituals that um, the rabbis picked up and we don't necessarily follow them because there's good traditions and then there's bad traditions. Um, I don't believe drinking any form of alcohol to the point of intoxication where you're um, inebriated and cannot function uh, with a clear mind is what God would want us to do with our bodies because we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So that's one thing that we don't do. Of course, um, I think you should be giving gifts to people who are um, not as well off as you are on a regular basis. You should not just um, reserve that for Purim. Um, the way the rabbi says it is, you know, this is the only feast um, in the entire Bible that actually mentions giving gifts to people. So, we're, you know, they don't talk about giving gifts to, at Hanukkah or at Christmas time. Purim is the only time that they do that. Now, what we do in our synagogue, which you may do or you may not do, you know, everybody's different. Um, I absolutely love it. We invite as many people as we can, especially people with children, um, and tell them to wear costumes. And we have a costume. Um, shoot, what do we do? We have a costume and a talent show. Um, and then you get, you know, money for the winner. So, um, whoever has like the best costume, they win some money and whoever has the best talent that year gets some money. Um, and then we have what's called a cakewalk, which is, we actually have the names of each um, book of the Bible and we have them on uh, individual pieces of paper and we put them in a circle in our, uh, sanctuary and we have the people walk around the papers while, we play music. It's almost like musical chairs, but not quite because we stop the music and then the person, the rabbi in the middle or the elder, whoever happens to be doing it, calls out a book. So Genesis, right? And whoever happens to be standing on Genesis or not on Genesis, but next to Genesis or the closest one to it, they have to answer a question. And it's obviously based upon your age and how much you may or may not know about the Bible. But if you win, if you get the answer correct, you get to go and get a cake. 
So we have a lot of people in our congregation who make cakes. We also um, make hamatashin, which is a lovely, lovely cookie that I absolutely love. Um, it's a sweet three-cornered pastry filled with really whatever you want. A lot of times people fill it with poppy seeds or um, there's like a date kind of jam. Typically, um, I think this year I was kind of lazy and I just bought jam. So I had blueberry. No, sorry. I wish I had blueberry. I had blackberry, raspberry, and strawberry in my hamatashin that I made. And, and I also made the gluten-free hamatashin. It is possible, people. I am a testament to that. And um, this year, after five years of making it, I finally got the recipe right where I didn't totally ruin the hamatashin I was trying to make because it being gluten-free makes it very difficult to have the cookie fold into that triangle type shape and stay that way when cooking. But um, it's great fun. Everybody has that. I think, uh, yes, we also ordered um, pizza. So people had pizza and hamantashen. I know we're really carving it up, but it was good. And um, we were able to fellowship with each other. And it just was a fun time. You're allowed to be silly. And then when you're telling the story of Esther, you're, you're telling the Migdala, you have everybody pass, they, we pass out what are called groggers. Um, which are noisemakers. And let me tell you, when you have at least 60 plus people and at least 20 of them are children <laughs> uh, trying to make noise with these things, uh, it's a good way to get a headache really quick. But it's actually a lot of good fun. So what you do is while you're telling the story of Esther, when the rabbi, which our rabbi does, he tells the story of Esther kind of in his um, in his own words. Every time that you hear the name Esther, you say, ah, and every time you hear the word, uh, the, the name Mordecai, you say, yay. And then every time you hear the name Haman, you boo. And then you make the noise makers, the groggers make noise. And, um, he obviously puts their names in probably more than is even in the book just to make it funnier because it's hard to get through the story when you have to stop every time says ah or yay or boo um but it's a lot of fun and it keeps the kids engaged and it helps them to understand the story a little bit better um because you're more likely to understand a story when you actually get to be engaged in it so that's that's part of the really great fun of Purim another reason I'm not going to read from Esther is because I actually found this thing online and I want to give them credit for it. It's actually called, um, it's from free.messianicbible.com. Um, and it's called Purim, A Time to Not Keep Silent. And that's why I think it's so important, especially in this day and age, where we are almost brainwashing people to be silent on what they believe in. And um, especially if it doesn't align with the status quo of what the world is telling us is good. Um so I'm going to read you just a little bit of this. It starts out with Isaiah 62.1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning, burning torch. So we see here um, the story of Purim is recorded in the book of Esther. 
This wonderful book has three main characters. I would actually argue that there are four. It says Esther and her cousin Mordecai, the heroes of the story, and Haman, the villain who wickedly plots to destroy the Jewish people. I would argue that the fourth character is King Ahasuerus, also known as King Xerxes, um, because he's in the story quite a bit too. Esther is an orphan who had been raised in Persia by her cousin Mordecai. She grows into a beautiful young Jewish woman who becomes part of the Persian king's harem after the king banishes the queen, Vashti, for her disobedience to him. That's an Esther 1. Esther receives 12 months of beauty treatments and eats special food in preparation of being presented to the king. Now, they also gathered all of these virgins from um, the places that... The area that the the king was uh, obviously an authority over. And I tell you what, even if I hadn't been picked by the king, um, that's not too bad of a life, at least for 12 months, where you get beauty treatments and get to eat special food. Now, I don't think the rest of it is necessarily fantastic, but that part sounds pretty darn good. The hidden hand of God is at work in her life while living in the king's harem. He falls head over heels in love with her. The king loves her so much, in fact, that he singles her out to marry her and be his queen. The king does not know, however, that Esther is a Jew, since Mordecai had advised her not to reveal her identity. While Esther is serving as queen, Mordecai uncovers a plot to kill the king, which saves the king's life. Yet Mordecai's loyalty to the king does not earn him favor with the king's chief minister, Haman, who is appointed after this event. Mordecai, who sits daily at the palace gate, refuses to bow to Haman. In retaliation, Haman plots the deaths of all Jews living in the empire. With the king's permission, he casts lots, or Purim, to determine the best date on which to carry out the massacre. It falls on Adar 13. Mordecai advises Esther to bravely go to the king to plead with him for their lives. Going in to see the king may, of course, seem like the logical thing to do, but it will put Esther's life in immediate danger. Even though she is queen, Esther cannot come into the king's presence without him first summoning her. She tells Mordecai that she may be put to death if she shows up uninvited. But Mordecai reasons with her. This is Esther 4, 13 to 14, and probably the most, uh, most quoted verse of Esther. And I think it's also the most important, and I think it's still important today. It says, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. How important is that? We are reminded as believers, even with this story, that we are not to stay silent when you see wrongdoing. You are to speak up, because were you not born for such a time as this? Esther realizes the wisdom in Mordecai's advice and says, in Esther 4.16, I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Which is to say, God's will be done. Though the name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, she commits her ways to the Lord by calling her people to a three-day fast before entering the king's presence. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do when this is done. That's Esther 4.16. She fasts for three days before going to the king, and when she enters his presence, she finds his grace instead of his wrath. In a series of comical twists and turns, you'll have to read Esther to find out what they are, 
God humbles the proud and exalts the lowly who trust in him. Esther, the Jewish orphan who rose to become a Persian queen, finally has the opportunity to expose Haman and save the Jewish people from his savage plot to destroy them. The heroine, Esther, seems to reflect the bride of Messiah, his followers, in several ways. She is not like the former queen Vashti, who was rebellious to her husband and king, perhaps occupied with her own agenda, and therefore banished from the kingdom. The world is certainly occupied with its own agenda, wealth, and prestige, but dedicated followers of Messiah are occupied with obeying and serving their Lord and Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Likewise, Esther occupied herself with her duties as queen as well as her duties to the Jewish people. Esther submitted herself to a prolonged preparation time before being brought into the king. She was anointed with oil of myrrh, which is symbolic of suffering, cleansing, healing, and anointing, as well as beautifying preparations and perfumes. That's in Esther 2.12. Esther desired to please the king. Therefore, over all the other women seeking to be elevated to the position of queen, she was chosen as his bride. This process begins with the anointing of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, who washes and renews us. Look at Titus 3.5. Brings us into unity, Ephesians 4.3, and enables us to obey the truth, 1 Peter 1.22, among other important works. Esther was faithful, beautiful, pure, and courageous, even to the point of being willing to lose her life to save her brethren. With the help of the Ruach, or the Spirit, the bride of Messiah is called to be faithful to God's word, beautifully pure in spirit, and courageous in sharing the truth of who Yeshua is. As a result of their courage, many believers suffer severe persecution, even death. Esther relied on God and not her own talents and natural abilities. She sought God through fasting and prayer before embarking on a courageous plan of action. So, too, believers know they cannot accomplish anything for the kingdom of God without relying totally on God's leading and protection. In Esther 8.8, 8, Esther carried the full authority of the king and the seal of his signet ring to issue decrees that cannot be revoked. In Luke 10.19, likewise, Yeshua gives his followers the authority to defeat the works of the enemy. While Purim is a time to remember God's deliverance of the Jewish people from anti-Semitic forces in Persia about 2,500 years ago, it is also time to remember that enemies have risen against the Jewish people in every age. Perm is also a time for believers around the world to heed the call of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, to rise up like Esther on behalf of the Jewish people and on behalf of other believers who are being persecuted. Today, <clears throat> excuse me, today, forces in modern-day Persia, Iran, again seek to annihilate Israel. Moreover, anti-Semitism is on the rise in nearly every nation, even in the United States and throughout Europe. And I would also say, not only is anti-Semitism on the rise, but so is it when it comes to religion, period. Also, the Christian religion, especially in America, we are, um, those of us who are believers are starting to see um, the truth of that when it comes to the different laws that are being um, brought before the Senate and the House of Representatives and those that um, the president is trying to put forth. We need to be Esther. The story of Esther can be our story. We probably won't ever reach the status of king or queen, except perhaps if our own, in our own minds, but we are all children of the Most High God. Just like Esther, he created each of us for such a time as this. 
Whether you realize it or not, we each have been placed in positions of influence. In your job, with your children, their families and friends, your family and friends, your congregation, your synagogue. If you leave the house and come in contact with other people, you have a place, a position, or influence with someone. The Megillah, or the Book of Esther, was one of the final books to be canonized in the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament. And I think that it's so important, and I'm so glad that that actually was um, canonized, um, which means that basically they decided it was valid and important to put in the Bible. Um, not that I necessarily agree with some of the ones that they kept out, but c'est la vie. The, por- the, the important por- part, and the part that I want you to take, is that Esther may have felt alone in her calling, may have felt alone because Mordecai was telling her what to do, but Mordecai wasn't there in the trenches with her. Not really. He was at the gates, but she had to put her own life literally on the line in order to talk to the king and to hopefully have his favor enough so that she could try to save her people. And she was just one person. And I think too often today we decide, oh, I can't possibly make a difference. I'm just one person. But I think Esther proves that that is wrong. In fact, many people in the Bible, God uses one person, one imperfect person to change history, to change a nation, to change the direction of where his people may be going. And as we are now people who are grafted in, we are believers who are grafted in with with our Jewish brethren under Yeshua, our Messiah, I think it's so important for us to stand up. When we see something is wrong, we are to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. This is unjust. And we need to say, no, we are not going to say nothing. We are not going to lie down and say nothing. Um, One of the last things um, I wanted to to leave you with um, was a poem, which attributed, which is attributed to Martin Neomoller. He was an influ- influential Lutheran pastor from World War II. Um, he was arrested and imprisoned in the Dachau um, concentration camp for withdrawing his support of Hitler. Um, it illustrates the importance of challenging hatred and injustice. So this is the poem. They came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me, and by that time, no one was left to speak up. Gave you a moment of silence there. I almost want to say, say la, stop and think on this. Because I think it's so important, especially with the world that we live in, that we cling to the Lord, we cling to Yeshua and the Ruach HaKodesh, and we get on our knees and say, Holy Spirit, show me my area of influence and show me what I can do to change the world to become a better place and a place that we can truly glorify you in in spirit and in truth. Now, I want to remind you, I have... um, an email address that you can email me with any questions or thoughts about my podcast. It is ELMMM3 at protonmail.com. That's E is in Echo, L is in Lima, M is in Mike, M is in Mike, 
Amazon Mike, the number three at protonmail.com. You can also go to my website, which is messymessianicmama.com, or you can even leave me a one-minute voicemail on Anchor. Um, there is an option for you to leave messages. And so I would really encourage you to do so. If there's something you would like me to talk about specifically, I'll be happy to do that. If you don't want your name mentioned, just let me know and I will keep it anonymous. Um, now, as I leave you every single week, I will leave you with the ironic blessing, which you can find in number six. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Bashem Yeshua, Sashalom, in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. I'm sorry I wasn't able to really delve as much uh, as I would like to when it came to Purim, but as I said, I only have about 20 to 30 minutes, and um, I don't want to go over time and have um, to maybe make... I could make this a extra episode or two, but... Um, unless I have that kind of interest, I don't know that I'm going to, um, coming up is going to be Passover soon. Um, I believe it is, uh, I want to say March 26th. So probably in the next week or two, I'm going to actually try to cover Passover. That one I might actually need to do a couple of episodes for because it's very, uh, deep and very much involved. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast and I pray that you have a blessed week. See you next time.